Welcome to the Unplug and Plug In podcast for parents, where we explore your relationship with technology, as well as how to help your child develop a healthy relationship with tech and screens, and most importantly, you. I'm your host, Lisa Honnold, and I'm founder and director of the Center for Online Safety. Thanks for plugging in with me today, friends. Today, I'm talking with Julia Hoppock, who leads the impact campaign for the Emmy Award-winning film, The Social Dilemma. You know I've been telling you all to make sure and see this movie. It has been out for over a year, and today we get to talk to Julia about it. Welcome to the Unplug and Plug In show, Julia. Thank you so much, Lisa. I'm thrilled to be here and thrilled about all the work that you do at the Center for Online Safety. So I'm yeah, really grateful to be here and have this conversation. Thank you. I'm excited to dive in. I first spoke with Julia at a Children's Screen Time Action Network event a while ago and was fascinated with her perspective and wanted to continue this conversation. She's been involved with storytelling and increasing impact for years before the social dilemma. And before we dive in, I want to tell you a little more about her. Julia is the Director of Partnerships at The Social Dilemma. She is a filmmaker and campaign strategist with 15 years of storytelling experience in documentary film, journalism, and in the nonprofit sector. She has spent her career finding, pitching, writing, and producing stories that connect audiences to the issues that impact their lives. Prior to Exposure Labs, Julia worked at the Pew Charitable Trusts, where she ran film and advocacy campaigns to advance environmental conservation, public health, and other public policy issues. Julia, your resume is impressive. <laughs> I'd like to start by hearing a bit more about how you ended up in your current role and what you do now. Sure, yeah. So I, I started out as a journalist at ABC News and Politico. And you know, I've always been a writer and a storyteller and I learned all the tools on the job about telling stories and, and speaking truths to power and under fast deadlines. And I really loved it, but I think Looking back, working in the news at that time, which was the you know 2005, 2006, was my first exposure really to the attention economy. And so, you know, social media then wasn't what it is now. It didn't have news feeds, but I did witness firsthand so many of my colleagues who cared so much about telling important stories, telling the truth, kind of have their work reduced to these clickbaity headlines. And that was one aspect of it that I, I really didn't like. And I think a lot of reporters felt trapped. And I can only imagine it's probably gotten worse with just Twitter and, and all of that. And so I moved, I, and I don't want to speak ill of the news. It's so important to have good journalism. And I work with so many fine journalists, but it did just plant that seed of this attention economy that became a thread later um, in my career at Exposure Labs and the social dilemma. But after leaving, I think I found for me that breaking news wasn't really my speed. I loved storytelling, but I didn't want reacting to that pace every day. I did find that to be quite difficult. And so I moved into storytelling for a nonprofit, the Pew Charitable Trust for many years, where I led, I directed videos and campaigns um, around a lot of their environmental conservation and public health initiatives. And I really loved that work. And I kind of just flip-flopped. I saw this um, job at Exposure Labs for an impact producer for, they didn't say what the film was, but they did mention it was about tech. And to be honest, I kind of learned all the tech reform part on the job. I had the background in film impact and storytelling. But the role I have now as the director of partnerships is to really lead our work with partners on the campaign. And Exposure Labs is very unique in that it's both the film and impact production company. So they do original productions, but they have a team of advocates that ensure that the film is used as a tool to advance the cause. And so our mission with the impact campaign is really to leverage the power of storytelling, including the film, 
to help put pressure on big social and realign technology with the public good. So it's been a fascinating couple of years for me in this position. And yeah, I've I've really lucked out in in landing a job around the social dilemma. I love that. Say your mission again. Could Could you repeat that? Sure, sure. The mission of our campaign is to leverage the power of storytelling to put brush pressure on big social and to help realign technology with the public good. So good. So good. You and I are right there together. I love it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> One of the things I love about The Social Dilemma is that it's aged well. And you can't say that about all movies that talk about tech. We're we're talking more about algorithms today than we were when the movie first came out and the movie insights, they still seem fresh. What do you think parents need to know right now about algorithms uh, when it relates to social media platforms? Sure. I think what parents need to know is probably what they're already well aware of. And it's just that the business model is not built with children's well-being in mind. And it's not built for any of our well-beings in mind. I think what the social dilemma did well was really visualize the business model and shows the ways in which these business models are optimizing for engagement. That's how they make money. The longer you stay on the platform, the more the data is mined from you. That data can be served to advertisers so that they're serving you products that you're more likely to buy. And the unfortunate thing is that the content that keeps people engaged on these platforms tends to be damaging content. It tends to be what's the most outrageous thing that's going to get you to click on or what is, you know, misinformation as we, um, brought to light in the film, but the study from MIT, fake news spreads six times faster than real news. And even hate speech that can engage you and and send you down into a rabbit hole. So even if you're not in favor of this negative content, you may be speaking out against it and, oh, isn't this so horrible as I'm resharing it? And that, again, is just bringing you down a rabbit hole that keeps you on those platforms longer. So these platforms aren't designed for our well-being individually and at the societal level, and it just really needs to change. And so I think Parents need to keep on the critical eye they probably already have about how these platforms are being used and really think about ways they can continue to take action because these are systems level problems. It shouldn't be on parents to have to monitor every activity of of their child online. There needs to be guardrails in place, like what we're seeing a little bit with UK Children's Design Code. So there needs to be guardrails. They need to keep fighting and they should be talking to their kids. I I could expand a little on what, what I think parents should know just based on our learnings from the impact campaign if you'd like, Lisa. Absolutely. Absolutely. We could talk about any of this all day. So yes, let's go. Yeah. I think the other thing just in our impact campaign, we work with so many partners. So I'll start with kind of within the tech companies. I think one common theme when I think about insiders and the tech companies and just young people, we work with a lot of youth activists in the tech reform space. One common theme is everyone really feels stuck in these platforms, whether you work there or you're outside using them to interact with your friends or to run your business. Everyone feels a little stuck. We all want better. And, you know, I think that's become clear with a lot of these whistleblower leaks. And we're seeing that, you know, on January 6th, on these internal platforms, uh, internal message board and Facebook, employees are kind of talking about the horror about what was happening in their platform's role. There's a lot of employees that don't want to work They didn't come into these companies to divide society. They wanted to do good and they're fed up with how things are going. And one thing we do hear kind of through the grapevine that gives me a little hope is that 
all this external pressure, all the work of organizations such as yourself, of activists, research, the press covering these issues, the hearings, that pressure really does make a difference and it empowers employees within the companies to speak out more and it empowers them to organize. And so it really is making a difference on that side. I yeah. love that. I love that thought. You, you and I are approaching it from the same way, which is these businesses are run by people. And we want to believe people are inherently good and they just need a little support so that they can organize from within as we organize from outside and and all spotlight on what needs to change. I love that idea. Exactly. Yeah. I interrupted your thoughts. Just to add, I think the other thing is, you know, young people feel trapped too. And, and, you know, and I, forgive me, I don't have kids. So if I'm saying something your audience is already well aware of, feel free to stop me. But we uh, work with a lot of Gen Z activists and had some candid panels and discussions. And many of them have just talked about what it's like to grow up um, on these platforms and have their entire life be a performance really. And how, how, as you're developing who you are in your teen years and what you believe in, and you're making mistakes and testing things out, you don't have that freedom with social media. And so many of them will, will speak to us about just what that does to themselves, the need to perform, how that affects their mental health and how it, it prohibits them from being their true authentic selves. So I'd also just encourage anyone listening to this podcast to talk to your kids and ask them what it feels like to be on these platforms, you know, maybe skipping the discussion about the rules and tech use, but ask them what they want social media to bring to them. And we have a lot of discussion guides about the film on our website that parents can use as a guide, but I think you'd be really surprised. I mean, we all know this is a problem and, and I think we can learn from each other. Parents can learn from their kids and vice versa. So I'd really encourage that open dialogue. Yes, we can learn back and forth. What I try to tell parents is that they don't need to be the experts to start the conversation. They can start where they are. If they don't know a lot about Instagram, that's okay. They can start by asking a question like, how does it make you feel or who do you follow? And let the conversation unfold organically without a lot of uh, forethought into what the, the answer is or what the result needs to be. It's just a conversation. It's just a way to learn more and to share emotions more to connect. Exactly. And that's how we approach our work. I mean, I know we've been studying these issues for a while, both in the making of the film and in the campaign, but I still learn so much from just asking someone who's 17, whose life is on these platforms, what it's like. And if you go into those conversations with humility, whether that's an apparent child thing or activist and person impacted by the platforms, you'll learn a lot. And so that'll take you far. (laughs) Yes. And something you said a few minutes ago, I want to circle back to because it's so important. You said that the burden for cleaning this up can't be on parents trying to police this or monitor, filter, do all of the things on the back end. Right now, it's impossible to do everything to keep kids safe online. The internet is broken when it comes to kids and safety. And to have parents feel guilty over not being able to keep them safe isn't fair. It's a bigger issue. It's a societal issue. We all need to be talking about this. I love that you mentioned that because that's something where parents have a lot of guilt and shame around uh, the current situation. It's very hard to get a handle on. Yeah, absolutely. And they, and they shouldn't. I mean, it's, it's a giant business model that's, you know, <laughs> that's working against you. And I mean, you have just thousands of engineers and these sophisticated algorithms. I mean, it can't be on you. I think we all need to, to realize that, that it's a system-wide change. And the best thing we can do is share our stories and, and take action. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And when we talk about business models, something that's become really apparent since the whistleblower and the Facebook file, something that's become really apparent is how these platforms are looking at each other and saying, I'm not growing the way I want to because TikTok is taking our people or our eyeballs, the, the teen eyeballs are going more over here instead of staying with us. How do we attract them back? How do we keep them on our platform? There's a limited number of hours in the day. And uh, that's something that was very apparent in the Facebook files is how they're studying each other trying to have the latest thing. If it's disappearing messages that kids like now, we're going to do the disappearing mess. If it's, you know, quick videos like what TikTok has, well, we've got to have reels and, and our version of that. Exactly. What can you say about that? Yeah, I think, um, I think it is a little bit daunting because it's this constant testing in real time and you're able to benefit. And because, because we don't have such great antitrust laws, you can, as a company, Facebook can steal those ideas of disappearing messages from Snapchat and employ them. So it is a little bit daunting, but here's the other thing um, to think about that I like to take from the positive side of the Facebook files is I think that they showed how desperate Facebook is. Facebook is losing right now. They're losing young users. And so they're going they're doubling down and they were trying to do an Instagram for kids, which luckily because of the work of so many advocates like yourself was uh, put on pause. But this, you could look at it on the other end that they are, it's a sign of desperation. If we need to go younger, if we need to do the most addictive thing, it's a sign that that platform is potentially failing or on its way out. It's a bigger sign that we really do need regulation because what we don't want is a race to the bottom. And I think that's what you can see sometimes with these different companies we don't want is a race to the bottom. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yes. Yes. While we're talking about current events, are you encouraged by what's happening with the Facebook files and the whistleblowers? And you mentioned the UK and their, their appropriate design code. Are you encouraged right now in, in our history where we're headed right now? I am. I am encouraged. And I'd say I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I did like what Senator Blumenthal said in the hearing with Francis Haugen, he said that this is big social's big tobacco moment. And I mm -hmm. do think that's true. I think what these 10,000 plus documents that Haugen has released lay bare the evidence that so many activists and researchers and others have been raising the alarm bells on for years, that these platforms are profiting off of our pain. And now we see it in their own writing. We see it in the Facebook internal memos that say, we make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. Mm -hmm. So there's just no denying it anymore. We know the companies know that they are causing this harms and it just cannot be acceptable anymore. So I'm hopeful in the sense that we are at an awareness tipping point. We are now all aware of the problem. We're in agreement that there is a problem, which really a few years ago wasn't totally the case. And we're aware that the business model is the problem. And I do feel like policymakers are, are citing that more. And I think this last straw with the Haugen documents have really mobilized both sides of the aisles to move forward on legislation, especially as it comes to protecting kids. So in that sense, I'm very optimistic, but I, you know, hearings aren't enough and talking about the problem isn't enough and we do need action. And so I just hope that this can translate into actual action like we've seen with the UK design code. And, and I'm happy to speak about that because there's some hopeful notes in that as well. <laughs> well, yeah, let's dive into what's changed in the last year since the release of the social dilemma. What's changed? I would love to speak for a minute on the design code and your thoughts around uh, if this is a, a viable model we can bring here. Absolutely. 
Sure. I'll start with the design code and then I can move on to the other question. So I think, you know, the design code essentially in the UK is really just a set of principles that says if you're designing a platform where kids are likely to be on, then it needs to be designed with children's well-being in mind. And that went into effect in the UK this fall, and it didn't get a ton of coverage over here on this side of the pond, but it has forced some changes uh, already from big tech, and they're small, but they're something, right? And sometimes change happens around the margin. Like TikTok is already controlling their direct messages for those under age of 18, and that was a recent change from the UK design code and, and Google's offering the right to be forgotten for teenagers who find images uploaded by parents or guardians. And so there's already some small changes. And I think what is also great is that we're taking the learnings on this side from the UK design code. And there's a lot of, there's a big move here to create a, a similar design code in the US. And I do think that would be effective. And I know that representative Kathy Castor is looking at a lot of those elements of the design code and incorporating it into a privacy act that she has proposed right now that would increase privacy protections for kids under eight. And so that definitely gives me, gives me some hope. And I think, you know, we can look at, we should look for progress wherever it emerges. <laughs> What's great about that is we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Exactly. If we can look somewhere else, and I know there's other countries doing this, if we can look to the UK and say, oh, you're already doing the privacy piece, you're already doing this. And companies like Google already know this, they know how to do it. It's working in your country. We can also say, why don't you just bring that over here too? Exactly. Exactly. You mentioned what's changed since the social dilemma. Happy to speak to that as well. Yeah, let's go there. What's changed in the last year? How is the impact campaign going? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of things have changed in the sense that there's now more awareness about the problem and the consensus that this is a problem. And I think that, like you said, there are so many things from the film that still ring true today. And I think that we're just seeing so many more news reports that really validate the thesis of the film. And, you know, just as a little sidebar anecdote, you know, in the film, the the director interviews the former head of monetization at Facebook, Tim Kendall, and asks him, what are you most afraid of? And he says, civil war from these platforms. And, uh, you know, internally, there was some worry at the time that that was too extreme. And even some of the marketing teams around the film was worried that was too extreme. But then we see things like January 6th happen, and it doesn't really seem out of left field to, to say something like that. So I think that without the business model changing, we're just going to continue to see events that, that really prove that thesis to be true. But on the positive note, I don't think we've ever seen so much momentum and uh, kind of mass awareness about this issue. And I, and I do think the film helped play a role in that, but it's also years and years of work from activists and advocates that have been in the space long before we entered the scene. And I do think that, you know, we're at a real moment where people are just fed up and it, it's time to take action. And so on our impact campaign, you know, we're excited about, we've been working with many tech reform activists on campaigns calling to ban surveillance advertising. We're working with many groups on creating a children's design code in the U.S. So I'm very excited about that. And we're also pivoting to just telling more stories. We, you know, the film has been out for a year and we want to make sure that, we're not just running a campaign about the film, but we're running a campaign that can help support the tech reform ecosystem. And we think the best way that we can do that is through telling stories and supporting other tech reform storytellers in the movement. So we'll be shifting gears to, to doing that and, and are really excited about that direction. That is exciting. That is exciting. And I want to be sure and highlight, uh, you've got an educator, you've got classroom resources as well, right? 
Yeah, we have a lot of great resources for educators out there, including a 40-minute classroom cut of the film, which educators can access for free without accessing the Netflix platform. And they can go to www.thesocialdilemma.com slash educators to register their screening for that educator's cut. So we're hoping that that can help allow for a lot more access to the film and these important topics. This is one of those missing pieces. Educators have had a chance to watch it, but they haven't had a way to show their classes. This is awesome to give them the opportunity to have those deep conversations with kids. That's fantastic. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. My final question is always, what is one thing you'd like to unplug from and or one thing you'd like to plug into? Julia, what have you got for me? Yeah, I love this question, Lisa. And, you know, we're recording this before the Thanksgiving holiday. And so what's on my mind is that a lot of us in this tech activist world have been watching and reading every headline, watching every hearing and taking notes and keeping up on the tech developments. And so I feel a little irresponsible saying this, but I'm going to give myself a break and unplug from tech news. (laughs) for a few days and just shut it all out (laughs) and uh, give myself some space and just plug into time with family and friends uh, and nature. I'm out in beautiful Colorado. So I hope to get into some hikes. I'll put a pause on, on the news for a minute and, you know, heal and rest and be ready to take the fight up after the holidays. I love it. I love it. We could all do that. Just (laughs) a couple days. Yes. Exactly. And now, my friends, it is time for us to unplug. And before we do, Julia, how can parents find out more about you and watch The Social Dilemma? Where can they go? Yes, they can go um, to our website, thesocialdilemma.com. And if they go to the Take Action page, they can have access to all sorts of actions they can take to help support the movement, as well as resources and discussion guides about the film. And I saw there was a digital cleanse on there too. I'm all about taking a break for two days, seven days, whatever it is, just clear your head, start over. Exactly, exactly. The social media reboot, you can take that there on that take action. Yes, yes. Julia, I want to thank you for your work and for making the world of social media algorithms and technology more accessible for parents. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. It was great. 